0: Since we are going to be talking about issues of health and well-being, we wanted to make sure that you understand that this information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have. Hi, I'm Dr. Alex Lloyd. Welcome to The New Jesus. Uh, this week I wanted to talk a little bit about, uh, we've been talking about how your beliefs are absolutely critical to everything in your life. That you always do what you believe. You never do what you don't believe. It's just that simple. So if your life is not going the way you want it, you've got a belief problem somewhere. And if you could find and fix that belief problem, there's a really good chance your life is going to change and you're going to start getting on track and feeling a lot better about yourself uh, internally. One of the most important beliefs is value and worth in yourself, in other people, in other things and issues in life. Uh, Martin Luther King said famously, if a person hasn't found something they're willing to die for, then they're not fit to live. And to me, that's all about your beliefs in value and worth. Okay. Until you found something that is so in your heart, you are so passionate about, you are so, um, uh, this is a cause for me, or this person is such a special person to me in my life that. I'm going to invest myself in them unselfishly. I'm going to give to that thing. I'm going to try to bring more value and worth to it. I'm going to try to honor the value and worth that's already there. Etc. Until you have something like that, you can't really live. You're, you're in bondage. You're, you're in bondage under the law, as we've been talking about. Um, you are not free. To live in love, joy, peace. The law causes sin to increase. Period. When sin increases, anxiety, fear, guilt, shame, anger, they all increase. All right? Um, And that's supposed to kind of be like the, the rails in the bowling alley that they put up for kids to keep you from going into the gutter. All right? But, we have to have a choice. If you don't have a choice, it eliminates love. So we have a choice to just stay where we are in our fearful place, having all our biases and prejudices, because we haven't looked at the whole truth of a situation, okay? And we've got to change that. If, if we're going to get out of the box, get out of jail, get out of our own prison, and live our best life or close to it. This is where we left off last week, All right, Um, And we talked about the either, I forget, nine or ten different diagnostics here you can use on a minus ten to plus ten scale to see where you are. Well one of the primary areas I would say you need to find out where you are is what do you value and consider of worth And what do you not value and not consider of worth? And I can give you a hint. (laughs) By and large, it's your emotions, feelings, and thoughts. Okay? So, if you are having to edit yourself all day in order to be kind or say nice things or not to say... uh, Cutting or emotionally abusive things, things like that, okay? If you're having to edit yourself all day, in other words, there's what you think and feel about it, and then there's what you say or don't say or act involving another person, maybe um, to be socially acceptable to them, or maybe you're past that and you just blow them away on purpose, okay? But, you have to identify what. What do you? What's your value and worth? And it's by and large right now, wherever you are on this scale. So, if anger is a minus seven or eight here, that means in a way you value anger at very highly, at a at a minus seven, minus eight. All right. Uh, all the negatives the the greater the negative number the bigger issue it is and the more value and worth you have there well anger is always about a wrong goal which is about an end result that you want that never should have been a goal a desire yes but not a goal all right so if you have an anger a big anger value worth issue at minus 8 That means that that is about some end result that you want or don't want in your life. A pain, pleasure, end result. Okay? And you are constantly taking unhealthy control during your life. If if this is a minus 8 for you, you're constantly taking unhealthy control or maybe I should say your unconscious is taking unhealthy control to try to force an end result. An instant gratification end result. An end result that maybe is not win-win-win for everyone. Maybe there's someone who loses. Maybe even there's someone who loses big. Alright? And the same with with uh, temptation, with the genie question, with love A versus love B, with authentic kindness. If it is really, really difficult for you to be kind to someone, okay? That means you greatly, you have great value and worth for rejection, for comparing yourself to other people constantly. I'm superior to her. I'm inferior to him. And making value judgments which causes you to not be kind or to fake kindness but inside what you feel is really... Rejection, judgment, uh, superiority, inferiority, whatever. All right. On the other hand, if your peace is at a nine, then it's guaranteed you you have a high value and worth on peace. You are practicing that in your life, whether intentionally or you were just brought up that way, and. It's how you're wired and it's your default. Okay? But everything boils down to your beliefs. And one of the critical beliefs is about what do you assign value and worth to? All right? Both in a positive way and a negative way. Things you should assign value and worth to that you don't, and things that you shouldn't assign much value and worth to. that you may be greatly valued for for some ple- pain, pleasure, reason. Okay, so this is where we left off, and and now we're going to take the next step and talk a little bit about the specific belief of your value and worth. How do you value things and assign worth, and what are those things for you? Okay, here's the basic premise for what I wanted to talk about for just a minute today. Um, Your beliefs are everything. You always do what you believe. A hundred percent of the time. You never do what you don't believe you should do. A hundred percent. All right? And more of my clients over the years have gotten angry at me about this than anything else, by far. Alright? And here's kind of how it'll go. I'll be working with, uh, let's say, an alcoholic who wants, who's addicted and who wants to get clean. Alright? And so they're talking to me and and we're trying to figure that out. And I say to my client, after we get to know each other a little bit, well, it's very simple. You drink because you believe you should drink. And about then is when they get mad. Alright? Um, and sometimes they'd even yell or scream, get up out of the chair and pace around with the, the vein in their neck or forehead sticking out, you know, really angry. Some, some of them you could tell that they were trying not to act angry, but they inside they were just furious. Alright? And then they'd say something like, You've got to be crazy, Doc! I mean, I hate that I'm an alcoholic. I hate drinking. That's why I'm here. I've been trying to quit for years. I've done inpatient, outpatient. You think I would have spent all that money if I wanted to keep drinking? You're out of your mind. There's no way I want to drink. And then I would usually respond, You're 100% wrong. If you did not want to drink, you would not be drinking. Never would have taken the first drink, never would have taken the last drink if you did not have a belief that you should do that. All right? And now, usually, they're sitting down, but still, you know, I'll give this guy a couple more minutes, but if this doesn't start making sense, I'm out of here, all right? And I would just share with them how we have multiple beliefs. You can have multiple beliefs about the exact same thing. Alright? I don't have any doubt that that client has a belief that he should not drink. Has a belief that he does not want to drink. Has a belief not to drink today. Has a belief not to drink tomorrow. Has a belief that drink has uh, ruined or damaged his life. etc., etc. Okay, may have 20, 30, 40 beliefs similar to that. But he also has a belief that I should start that tomorrow or the next day. Um, Yeah, I I shouldn't be drinking, but I really need it tonight. So I'm going to go ahead and drink and it'll be fine. I mean, I've got I've got a lot of years left, and I've been at this for years. It'll be fine. I'll quit. Uh, I just need to kind of zone out for a while tonight. I had a rough day. I had a hard day. Um, okay, you get the idea now, right? Uh, he that guy may have a hundred different beliefs consciously about drinking, both that he should and beliefs that he shouldn't, and he may have. Way more than a hundred in his unconscious and passed down from his ancestry. Alright, that he doesn't even know they're there, but they're exerting influence either to drink or not, one or the other. Alright? So You always do what you believe. You never do anything you don't believe. So if you're doing something that's detracting from your life, it's guaranteed 100% that you have a wrong belief. If you have a wrong belief, it's guaranteed 100% that there is a lie or untruth in that belief. Now, it's very often in the therefore. Or, um... Because this happened, then, an if-then statement. If this happened, then, it's very often the then, not the if. I'll give you an example. When I was 12 or 13, my dad um, basically beat me up. It was a Saturday morning. I was about 12 years old. He wanted me to work in the garden. I already had something else planned. He started hitting me over and over and over with his open hand, head, face, upper torso, um, all over, knocked me down, cut my leg, I was bleeding, Uh, cut my knee, um, landed on some gravel or something, and while he was hitting me over and over and over, probably about a minute and a half total, seemed like a month and a half, he was saying, Alex, you're never going to amount to anything. Alex, you're never going to amount to anything. Okay? He never did anything like that before. Never did anything like that after. At one event, lasted about a minute and a half. It ruled the next 15 years of my life. Uh, I, I mean, I felt it. I didn't make the connection that that's what it was from, but... I felt the difference, and my family has told me uh, both around that time and much later that they saw a stark contrast in me at that time period. They said I used to spontaneously joyfully sing all the time, and after that happened, I never spontaneously sang again. Which to them was a huge shift in me. My joy was gone, and it was gone for about 15 years as that memory was ruling my life. Now, what was the lie in the memory? What was the untruth? Was it that my dad really didn't hit me? No, no, he did. That's the truth. The untruth was the therefore, which was because my dad hit me and beat me up, Therefore, I'm never going to amount to anything. Because my dad kept saying, you're never going to amount to anything. And my dad was like my hero. Everything he says is right, at least at that age. So dad's right. There's something wrong with me, and I'm never going to amount to anything. And that's what I proceeded to do and live out. Screw up after screw up. Failure after failure. misstep after misstep. Intentional sin, intentional um, uh, doing things that I believed were wrong for the rush or the feeling or to escape or whatever. A whole lot of internal uh, fantasy and what I would call vain imagination. All right, um, But my whole life changed on that one thing because it As soon as that happened, it changed a belief in me that I was of great value and worth to now I'm of next to no value and worth. Because my own dad beats me up and says I'm never going to amount to anything. And I, I thought he was done with me in his life at that point. That wasn't true, of course. And years later, he didn't apologize at the time, but years later he did and said I didn't even hardly remember that. That had nothing to do with you. That was about me and a heart condition I just found out I had, which was true, but I didn't know that when it happened at the time. So, yeah, I still had a belief in me, I think, that I had value and worth, but now I had this monster belief. See, how big that belief is is determined by how much adrenaline was released at the time, That's the main way. Well, that's massive adrenaline. I may have had more adrenaline released during that minute and a half than any other minute and a half my entire life, okay? So that memory is prioritized way up here. So even though I have conflicting memories, they're prioritized way down here that say I do have value and worth. So until something happens with this wrong belief, I'm in trouble. And I was for 15 years. Okay, so um, about any issue you're having a problem, you have to have a wrong belief. And in every wrong belief is an untruth or a lie. The untruth is almost always the therefore or then. Because my dad beat me up and said I was never gonna amount anything, therefore I'm never gonna amount anything. Well, it is true my dad beat me up and said that. It was never true that I was never gonna amount anything because my dad didn't said that. In fact, he even said that later. It had nothing to do with me. It was something in him snapped because he was afraid related to a a bad health diagnosis he had just gotten. So it was never about me, but even so it created a new belief in me, a very destructive value and worth belief about myself that was way more powerful than the positive value and worth beliefs I had from uh, my parents loving me and getting positive feedback from people and Uh, some things from church, some things from school that were good. Okay? Yeah, I had those too, but this one up here with my dad, uh, if you put them on scales, that one tipped the scales way down. Plus I had a number of others. Going to school and almost failing every class, being short and fat, called chunky, made fun of for my weight and appearance, things like that, alright? So, yeah, I had both positive and negative value and worth, but e- but even if even if the even if the, you have 50 negative worth things and 50 positive worth things, it is almost guaranteed the negative worth are going to win because those are the ones prioritized by your survival instinct. The those have much more adrenaline released than the positive things and affirmations that happen. OK? So you really can't just say, OK, I'm going to leave those negative beliefs intact and just play to the positive beliefs. No, no, no. If you if those negative ones have not been resolved, they're going to contaminate the positive ones inside you, just like a computer virus does um, in a computer. The only way you can fix it is to get rid of the virus. The only way you can fix this is to heal, change, transform that negative belief. In this case, with my dad, that yeah, my dad beat me up, and he said you're never going to mount anything. But it was never true that that was true, and that that was going to be my life it had nothing to do with me, and I'm not going to accept that as a belief anymore. And I'm going to do some work on it to heal it, to bring it down below a, a one on a zero to ten scale. And and emphasize and and recenter myself in the positive, truthful beliefs. Okay, but all these issues in the world today—think about it: Black Lives Matter, uh, gender issues, politics, where people hate each other just for supporting a different candidate or a different ideology. All right, um, every one of those. Different points of view come from a belief, okay? And some of this is common sense. It's not a mystery why if a child is raised Muslim, the chances are as an adult they're going to be a Muslim. If, if someone is raised Baptist, chances are when they grow up they're going to be Baptist or at least Christian. Chances are, if you're a raised atheist, you have way better, way more odds that you're going to be an atheist than someone who was raised to believe in God or spiritual reality. All right. If you believe that there's a spiritual reality but there's no God, there's a good chance you were raised or you've studied a lot or talked to people who have that view. Okay? And, by and large, it's not just the message, it's how are we how does that person treat us? Wherever we get that information from, do we feel that's a credible source or or not? All right? So, the only way to come to the perfect correct decision about Black Lives Matter is if we can check our our prejudicial and biased beliefs at the door. Or at least re-examine them, take a look at the whole truth in order to determine a more um, balanced interpretation of the way things are. Okay? Um, If all you have in the room in Black Lives Matter is people who are screaming and angry at each other and, and stuff like that, chances are you're not going to get much of anywhere until people are able to get out of that mindset which is, can be kind of a minor form of brainwashing. Um, right when I got out of college I worked um, in ministry and, and I worked with teenagers and their teachers and their parents. To try to help uh, families be closer, to try to help child, uh, teenagers stay on the right path in their life, not do drugs and drinking and uh, prioritize the spiritual and, and uh, delayed gratification, things like that, working out compromises between parents and, and teenagers, things like that. Um, and typically, when I would go to a new group and do a first session, to kind of get their attention, what I would do is I would um, make little uh, tags, okay? I'd get a piece of card or construction paper and put um, holes in the four corners, tie a string to the hole, and tie that um, label onto their head where it was right here, where everyone is in a circle and they have a label on their head right here and they have no idea what the label is but everyone else in the circle of course does because they can read it. And some, some, of, uh, some of the uh, labels are positive, some are negative, some are neutral in the exercise. Some might be I'm um, very rich. One might be I'm extremely attractive. One might be, I'm a great athlete. One might be, I'm a nerd. One might be, um, I'm very shy and really don't like to socialize much. One might be, I'm a liar. I'm a chronic liar, uh, et cetera, et cetera, okay? And they were supposed to have a conversation for about 30 minutes where they address another person in the circle, but they address them on the basis of their label. So if the person is a liar, they treat them and speak to them like a liar. All right? If the person's very attractive, they treat them and speak to them like they're very attractive, maybe flirting a little bit, you know? If they're very wealthy, they treat them, you know, maybe uh, be real nice and they'll, Give me something, or give me a job, or give me a car, or, or 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 whatever. All right. And every time I ever did that experiment, it was just so illuminating for uh everyone who took part in it. And after it was over, we would debrief and um see if they had figured out what was on their own ID. Some would, some wouldn't. But the interesting thing to me is that After 30 minutes of that, just 30 minutes, in a totally safe, comfortable environment, the ones who were treated differently or negatively because they had a negative label had very negative feelings about themselves. And I don't mean simulated negative feelings, just in the context of the exercise. I mean now real negative feelings about themselves that they still had when I walked out that door. And I had to do some counseling and therapy and, and stuff on a number of kids and parents who couldn't shake that experience and just the way they were treated for 30 minutes. And and in, in 30 minutes several of them would have a new negative usually belief about themselves that they had a hard time shaking to the degree that I quit doing that experiment. I quit doing that Um, because in 30 minutes I was seeing some pretty negative stuff that was continuing with that person days, weeks, sometimes even a couple of months later and I we certainly didn't want to do that but it was amazing to me how easy these beliefs can change and and that we have to constantly be vigilant with your beliefs just like brushing your teeth, washing your hair, cleaning your body, eating food, taking supplements, getting a little exercise, maybe even more important than any of those. We have to be vigilant with our beliefs and to be constantly resolving the negative ones so that they're not negative anymore and creating new positive ones and making the positive more and more and more positive. All right? And to do that, it means we have to give value and worth to the right things and take value and worth away from the things that are lies untruths. Fear based, selfishness based, etc. Okay? And so it all comes down to your beliefs and the belief about your value and worth and what you value and put worth on is absolutely critical to every area of your life, every relationship, every day, every hour, everything. Okay? So, I want to take a look at something that's absolutely fascinating in this regard about how our beliefs work, how they can be changed, etc. In 1971, Professor Philip Zimbardo of Stanford uh, undertook an experiment, research, uh, whatever you want to call it, and um, uh, they were incredibly creative in calling it the Stanford Prison Experiment. <laughs> um, there you go, 1971. And it is very, very famous. They, they made a movie about this. Uh, there have been other studies that they've done that were sort of uh, done because of this one and it was so interesting to see what would happen in, in different, uh, if they set it up in different ways. But in 1971, they took 24 students Um, told them they were going to do uh, an experiment about, uh, I think it was um, violence in prisons or behavior in prisons, something pretty generic. It didn't sound real bad. And they were going to pay them 15 bucks a day, which in 1971 was uh, a little more than it is today. And uh, they split the students into half and half. 12 students became guards, 12 students became prisoners, alright? And the uh, experiment was supposed to last for two weeks. They arrested the 12 that were supposed to be uh, students, or at least one of them. Uh, That was a little bit unclear. But of the 12 that were prisoners, at least one, maybe all of them, they went to their home and arrested them for burglary, robbery, breaking and entering, that sort of thing. Took them to um, a, a simulated police station. All right, did their fingerprints and uh, and they did a strip search. They deliced them which means spraying them with all this stuff in case they have lice in their hair or, or fungus or bacteria on their body or anything like that uh, and intentionally humiliated them. They chained them, put big heavy chains on their feet, they shaved their head completely bald, gave them a cap and a number. and And starting right then, the person was referred to as a number, Not with their name. Alright? Visiting day came. And the um, prisoners were being uh, very poorly treated. The the guards quickly, the 12 guards quickly, got into their role and became uh, uh, unkind. Uh, They would have them do uh, push-ups with them standing on their back. They would Uh, strip-search them again. They would humiliate them. They would um, do emotional abuse, etc. And visiting day came and the kids, the 12 that were um, prisoners, complained to their parents and the parents all minimized it. Oh, you're making too much out of this. It's not that big a deal. Um, I'll see you next week, honey. Just, It's okay. Just when really, they were not okay. Virtually any of them. Alright? Um, then the, the prisoners developed an escape plot which they scrapped before they ever even tried it, but they banded together and were trying to figure out how to survive this and, and you know, how to get through it, etc. Alright? Uh, one interesting thing is the director who was a psychological researcher, Professor Zimbardo, noticed after just a few days, like three or four days, that he himself was thinking more like a prison warden than he was a psychological examiner. And it shocked him. I mean, how did that happen in like two or three days? Uh, He was not expecting that, all right? Um, a priest came to visit. They they did more humiliation all all through the time there. A priest came to visit and the 12 prisoners introduced themselves to the priest as their number, not their name. They weren't asked to do that. And in fact, at the start of this the guards really weren't given any instructions on how to do this. They were just to figure it out themselves but to keep them totally in line. And the prisoners weren't told much either. Just humiliated, stripped, chained, uh, etc. Okay, so down here the priest visits after I think about three days or so and they introduced themselves as their number, not their name which is a dehumanizing, a devaluing of themselves. And none of them had any plan or were thinking about any plan on how to get out. So up here, they have an escape plot. Now they don't go through with it, mainly because they didn't think it would work, but they were working together trying to figure out, okay, how are we going to get out of here? A couple of days later, Not a one of them is even trying or planning to get out. They've reached another degree of dehumanization and brokenness. All right? Um, Many of the uh, prisoners became hysterical, had an emotional mental breakdown. Uh, Some went into shock where they would have to bring outside people in to say, "Um, your name is John Brown. You are not a prisoner. This was an experiment at Stanford University. Your name is John Brown and all of this is not real. And they're trying to bring him back to reality. Okay? He has, he, that person and there were several of them, they are completely believing that what is true is this simulated prison situation. That they really are in prison. Now, how in the heck has that happened in just a few days? But it did. Um, uh, They were willing to give up their $15 a day pay in order to be released, even though they did not have to do that. They could have been released and still receive pay. Um, What else? Oh, uh Even after they were released, finally, they they had to end the uh, experiment after six days. It was planned for two weeks. They had to end it after six days because it was spiraling out of control. Uh, The prisoners were absolutely breaking down, uh, left and right, emotionally, physically, mentally, uh, in, in every way. So after six days of an intended 14, They shut it down because it spiraled way beyond what they had imagined might happen. And the guards were literally being mean guards and seeming to like that role and inflicting emotional and physical abuse on others. And the prisoners were um, flipping out and, and... all kinds of different ways. So even after they had released them, they went back to their cell. Why? When asked, they said they didn't believe they had any choice and that they were powerless to resist. Um, they're coping. They, they identified several different coping uh, styles of the prisoners Number one, rebelled. That was primarily at first. That did not happen toward the end when they were completely broken and compliant. But number one was rebellion. Number two, breaking down. Um, uh, I think there were a couple of instances where they did that on purpose as an act. And then a number of others, much more, where it was not an act. They were really uh, having a a mental-emotional breakdown. All right. Uh, number three, psychosomatic illness with a rash all over the body or, or uh, some other um, physical or mental type ailment that, that would rise to the degree of a diagnosis. Okay, Psychosomatic illnesses and the last one, which was the one basically all of them got to in a matter of six days was just be good and hope for the best, 100% compliance, okay? And when they got to this one, their, their internal value and worth in virtually every one of the prisoners was way below where it had been when they started, okay? Um, the uh, premise of the study, I should have shared this at the first, from... Uh, Professor Zimbardo, what happens when good people are put into a bad place? And for our purposes, I would say, what happens when good people are indoctrinated with bad things, whether from circumstances or from other people? Okay? In the end, there was no prisoner unity at all. The guards took total control. The one rebellion toward the end was Prisoner 416. And Prisoner 416, toward the end, went on a hunger strike in order to try to force them to let, to let him go. All right. And what was interesting is that um, the other prisoners, when this happened, were interviewed and they viewed Prisoner 416 as a troublemaker for doing this. And then the other prisoners were offered um, uh, an opportunity to participate in an act of compassion, love, uh, etc. If they would give up their blanket, the guards would let prisoner four sixteen go. Okay, and all, and they all knew he was imprisoned. Um, he should have should not have been kept in prison uh, in that situation. All right, the prisoners refused to give up their blanket. They chose their blanket over their friend because they had been broken to the point that it was totally just about self survival. Okay can't care or trust anyone else. They were no longer cooperating with each other. There was no unity. They were starting to see their comrades even as the enemy if they caused trouble, which might get me in trouble or make things worse on us or something. Okay? So the experiment was called off in six days uh, out of uh, it being out of control and doing much more harm than they had ever imagine. Another interesting thing is um, they interviewed them uh, two months later after they were released from the experiment. Um, Number 416, same one up here with the hunger strike, the only one that kind of resisted toward the end. 416 when he was interviewed two months later, he said, I was and I still am number 416. And several others of the prisoner made prisoners two months later made similar statements. Um, the root of this is that the situation turned good people into objects. It dehumanized them. okay, And people became nothing more than a way to help me get what I want or to keep me from getting what I want. If they're going to help me, I'll cooperate and treat them nice. If they might keep me from getting what I want, I'm not going to be nice and I'm going to treat them harshly or with passive-aggressive or something, but I'm going to try to get them away from me or beat them, all right? Um, But people felt dehumanized, okay? A month later, after the Stanford Prison Experiment, was the famous Attica riots that lasted four weeks. The demand by the prisoners at Attica was to be treated like human beings. Totally fit with the conclusions of the um, Stanford Prison Experiment where the bottom line was dehumanization. And people being treated and feeling like objects instead of people of value and worth. Um, Alfred Hitchcock uh, had a uh, who's one of the most famous uh, horror film directors in history, especially American history. I really like several of his films. Check him out if you hadn't seen him. But uh, Hitchcock wrote a lot of murder mysteries, and he had a quote that under the right circumstances, anyone is guilty of murder. And uh, to me, it's sort of a parallel to the Les Mis story, which is one of my favorite stories, where the guy steals uh, a loaf of bread because his sister's kid is starving to death. He's put in prison and he becomes dehumanized himself and a good, kind loving man becomes almost like an animal and in Le Mis goes more at times by his number, I don't remember what that was in Le Mis um, than his own name. Alright? Same thing. And I believe, the reason I'm sharing this <clears throat> is I believe all of us in our day-to-day lives are in a uh, something experiment. I'm in the Lloyd family experiment that started in a little 5,000-person town in East Tennessee with my mom and dad and the friends I had then. Some of them were good. Some of them were not. Had a couple of friends at school. Some made fun of me at school. And so, my worth and value was forged, both good and bad, by my parents telling me all the time they love me and hugging me and building me up. Um, They were really good encouragers. You can do anything you want to do. My dad did have that one blow up when I was 12, but it was the only one. Outside of that, he was like my best friend and hero, all right? and you have been a part of your experience the jones family experiment the uh uh johnson family experiment wh- whatever your life and your growing up situation has been okay we also have passed down to us the negative memories mainly, some positive, but for sure and mostly the negative memories, maybe the tr- mostly the trauma memories from our ancestry, going back hundreds of years. Okay, you have uh, the memories from early in life, the first few years, which are largely unconscious, which means you don't know what they are, but a lot of those could be negative popsicle type memories where even though no one did anything wrong, it's really in me like a trauma because of the age I was at when it happened. I was in delta theta brainwave state and I couldn't reason in logic. So it just got directly programmed as a trauma when really it was me throwing a temper tantrum over my mom not buying me a Coca-Cola when we went into the grocery store. Well, that's really not a life trauma, according to the DSM book, right? But that can absolutely be the life trauma that ruins someone's whole life. And I had a, I've had multiple clients who have said that about their own life and memories like that. Okay? All right. So we are all in our own experiment of our life with good and bad, and that develops multiple beliefs around every single issue Black Lives Matter, gender issues, politics. All of us, through what we've experienced that we know about and that we don't know about, We have ended up where we are with the beliefs that we have. Some positive, some negative, some truthful, some some not truthful, um, some encouraging and positive, some negative and destructive. And we have, about most things, all of that, about every belief. A positive, a negative, a neutral, a... Constructive, a destructive. All right. So you've got to find those beliefs and resolve them, or or work on them mechanically and let them heal on their own. And and we and and I think you should do both. I think we have tools you can use that sometimes will change those negative energy, signals that we have that are resonating lies to the hypothalamus causing it to turn on the stress switch, okay? Um, All of us have that, alright? And we've got to be aware of that all the time, how we work, alright? But, this is how simple, this was six days. And totally spiraled out of control with humiliation and abuse and uh, psychosomatic illness and breakdowns and all kinds of stuff in six days' time. In a situation where all 24 knew what was going on wasn't real. That That they had signed a contract and were being paid to be a part of this experiment. They all knew that the whole time. But within two days, it's like that memory's not even there anymore. Now, they are really believing I'm in prison and and subject to all this abuse and trauma and mistreatment and don't even feel like they can leave when they're released and refer to themselves after a few days as their number, not as a person, etc., and turning on their fellow friends uh, because they have got to such a dehumanizing place, okay? Um, M. Scott Peck, who wrote the, uh, my wife's favorite book, the runaway bestseller, The Road Less Traveled, wrote another book where he talks about the four steps to community, or or really the four steps to living in love and joy and peace and happiness. And the first one is pseudo-community, which is basically just image control or pretending. We're acting this way because it's socially acceptable, but what we really feel inside is very different and not that great. All right. And, and everyone wants to be better. Everyone wants to move up higher in their life. Everyone wants something close to their best life and to feel they are of value and worth. All right? So we start down this road because we want change, right? The first thing we hit when we start going for change, whether it's to lose weight or whether it's to have a productive conversation about Black Lives Matter or a productive conversation about gender issues or whatever, the first thing we hit or, or, or to uh, get off alcohol or any, any kind of significant change when we start to do that the first thing we hit is chaos. Chaos means pain. In fact, it usually means more pain than the place you started from that you wanted change from. Meaning, I want to lose weight, I want to quit drinking, I want to be a better husband, I want to be better at my work, uh, I I want to be more disciplined, I want to exercise, whatever, whatever. You hit pain, and according to Dr. Peck, 90% of people, when they hit pain, they turn back. Which means you have not changed the wrong belief That's causing the problem in your life, and it's always a wrong belief causing the problem. Now, I'm not saying there's not something else causing a problem, too. Viktor Frankl was in the Holocaust. Was that a problem? Yeah, yeah, big time problem, all right? Um, But he wrote that what he did in the prison camp was exercise the last of human freedoms. They could beat me. They could yell uh, obscenities at me. They could spit on me. They could deprive me of food and and water. They could not get to that, he said. The last of human freedoms the right to decide what my internal state, attitude, belief is going to be about this situation, the guards, uh, me being in the prison camp, etc. All right? The problem is that's painful and most people just went back and then just tried to endure and and most of them didn't make it out all right Dr. Frankel didn't do that he didn't he didn't just go in the fetal position and try to endure he exercised the last of human freedoms in order to try to have a truthful belief about himself and his circumstances even in the middle of the prison camp which for him was that he has had great wonderful times in his life in the past that have given his life value, meaning, and worth and he believed that there was every possibility that he might live through this and if he does He wants to write a book and help people the rest of his life that are going through pain in their lives. Okay, And so that's the belief that he constructed, that he built, that he looked at all of the possible beliefs, competing even, and decided this one is the truth, the most true and love-based and that's what he did and it's why he said he survived and and then did spend the rest of his life helping people. The four step, emptiness, and the last one is community, love, joy, peace, freedom from the law, etc. Okay. Um, another extreme example of this. Uh, Jim Jones and uh, the Jamestown Massacre. Uh, Most, over 900 followers of Jim Jones willingly drank the the arsenic-laced Kool-Aid and committed suicide. Okay? Well, I shouldn't say that because some people say that some of them were forced at gunpoint. If you don't drink it, we'll shoot you. But the documentaries and research I've read, most of them did it willingly. Well, also, most of them were with him for less than 10 years. So, in less than 10 years, for most of them, they go from being basically a normal person with value and worth and meaning and, you know, searching for something better too, looking for positive change, but still uh, doing all right. And then 10 years later, they are at a place of rebellion, breakdown, psychosomatic illness, just trying to comply and be good. Uh, uh, there, were, there were many things that happened during, during that Jim Jones thing where he would humiliate people. Okay, The same thing that happened in the Stanford Prison Experiment. But in the end, over 900 willingly took their life and I'm telling you, they had to have a belief that they should take their life or they would not be able to do it. Now, the one where a guns pointed at their head saying, you drink it or I'll shoot you, that's different. But the ones that did it willingly, and there were hundreds that did, according to the literature, they had to have a belief that it was best for them to do that, which is mind-boggling to me. Okay? that they could believe that coming from this charismatic guy who obviously had big-time problems, and it didn't take a psychologist to identify that. And um, when I was reading about the uh, Jamestown and Jim Jones and all that, one of the interesting things that it said as they were kind of analyzing what had happened is that If you do not have the strength, the internal strength to get out of your box then you're almost doomed to a life, a situation where you are acting on a wrong belief. You're acting on uh, an untruth, a lie that is obviously going to take you not to love, joy, peace, but to selfishness, anxiety, fear, low self-worth, etc. Okay? Um, So, what are your beliefs this week? Okay? What do you believe about Black Lives Matter? What do you believe about gender issues? What do you believe about politics? Why do you believe that? If you're um, a Christian, do you believe that if you were brought up Muslim, you would still be a Christian today? Um, I guess that's possible, but um, it doesn't usually happen that way. Most people who are raised Muslim end up being Muslim. All right? Um, If you are a Muslim... Do you believe if you were raised as a Christian, you'd be a Christian today? It's possible, but doesn't usually happen that way. Well, why would that be then, that if you're raised Christian, you're Christian? If you're raised Muslim, you're Muslim. If you're raised atheist, or at least the great majority of the time, okay? It goes down to your beliefs. Every, Every single one of those beliefs you have goes down to a central belief overall about that thing and then probably 30 to 300 little sub-beliefs. Some saying I should not take the drink because I don't want to be an alcoholic but some saying I should take the drink because I really need it tonight and I'll start tomorrow. Okay? I can guarantee that in the people who are upset with each other over Black Lives Matter, there are buckets and buckets full of wrong beliefs in those people. And if we could somehow magically wave a wand and eliminate them, I believe people could come together and pretty quickly come to a solution, belief, and plan of action to make Black Lives better, maybe not perfect, but better, and then continue better, better, better. And the same with gender stuff, the same with politics, the same with almost anything, okay? The problem is always a wrong belief, a belief that has an untruth or a lie in it, alright? And about every belief that you have a problem, you have competing beliefs. One saying this is the truth, one saying this is the truth. You need to find those. You need uh, the ones that are conscious. You need to pray over them. You need to meditate over them. Uh, You need to determine what are the beliefs I have that just maybe, possibly, are either not true or not the whole truth. You know, the best lie is the one that's 99% true. Or the one that is selfish versus the one that's win-win-win for everyone. If you are ever going to be the person of value and worth that you can be, you have to examine your beliefs. Find the ones that are out of balance. Find the ones that are creating um, uh, rebellion, breakdowns, Psychosomatic illnesses, real illnesses, complying just so you won't get whacked anymore, whatever, all right? And typically, that's coming to a decision place every day and and 20 or 30 times a day about taking out the trash, about letting someone in the line in traffic, about having a situation where you could be mean or kind and choosing to be kind, about being a great listener, about valuing, not dehumanizing. So everyone that you come in contact with, I believe, you should have on your radar, let me value the worth of this person. That, that I'm with. I may be only beside them for 30 seconds in the checkout lane at the grocery store. Let me value their worth for 30 seconds. Now, I don't mean anything where they're going to think you're, you know, some weird religious freak or something. Okay. Man, a kind word with an with a authentic smile can do more for someone than just about anything I know. And you can always do that. Whether you know them or not, think they're beautiful or not so beautiful, uh, whether they dress nice or not, whether they have money or not, you can always be kind and have an authentic smile once you clean out your junk and start living by true beliefs that come from love and point the way back to love. All right? Okay, Um, so this week, I would highly recommend um, take a look at something in your life that's not going great. Identify an overall belief you have about that. Rate it 0 to 10 or minus 10 to plus 10, however you want to do that, all right? And then determine all of the sub-beliefs you have related to that main belief. Like, like, I have a main belief that uh, I should dr- quit drinking alcohol because it's ruining my marriage. I, 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 I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just using this as an example. But because it's messing up my marriage, costing a lot of money, I don't feel as good, it can cause health problems down the road. Okay, that's the kind of the central But then I've got one out here that says, yeah, and I'll do all that, but I really need it today. So I'm going to go ahead and do it tonight. I'll start this later. Um, And and again, you may have 30 or 40 different peripheral sub-related beliefs. You've got to find the ones that are in error. Okay? Uh, I would be especially suspicious of ones... Um, that tend to have a very extreme belief that you have never really searched out yourself. You have only accepted what parents and friends and teachers and ministers and other people have said. It is almost impossible to have an authentic value, meaning, identity, worth, Belief that is correct that you have never searched out yourself. It's almost impossible. Okay? So if there's an area where there's a problem, you got to search that out and find the whole truth. Not only the beliefs that are consistent with what you're wanting to do, but the beliefs that you're doing that work against what you want to do. Okay? Ancient manuscript, the Apostle Paul. What I want to do is not what I do. What I do is what I don't want to do and I do it over and over and over. Alright? And also don't be too hard on yourself because we all do that. Okay? But, but, here's the point. Your beliefs determine almost everything in your life. How you feel internally. By the way, what is a belief? It's your internal feelings, emotions, and thoughts about something, some area, religion, God, um, uh, sexist issues, racial issues, political issues, something in your own family, something just between you and another person. It's your internal feelings and thoughts and emotions from your ancestry, from your unconscious, from your subconscious, from your conscious, from the first few years of your life, for impressions you got as a fetus. I mean, all of it goes into the same barrel. Alright? And you may not be able to identify the event or person that where this issue started, but you do know what you're feeling and thinking. Okay? Well, follow the feelings and thoughts back to earlier times in your life, other people in your life, and find the beliefs, like the one with my dad, where he said you're never going to mount anything, where you're believing a lie, and you have to resolve that lie and, and start believing the truth. So I would take stock of that this week in the major areas of your life. Work, relationship, health, um, hobbies, uh, fun time, leisure time, uh, the future, the past, the present, God, no God, um, every, every significant thing you can think of, okay? Take a temperature. Where is that belief for you on the positive to negative scale, minus 10 to plus 10, all right? And what are the competing beliefs? One that says this is the truth, one that says this is the truth, okay? Find the untruth, find the lie, and change it to the truth. You can do that by praying and meditating over it every day. Don't try to change it with left brain logic. Just pray and meditate over it every day. Uh, looking at all of the beliefs around a certain thing until a day comes where you look at that page and you discover yourself believing something different. Don't try to do that. Just pray and ask for it and the day will come when it happens. All right? Keep going until that happens. And then redo all the numbers. Okay, this was uh, a plus two, now it's a plus six. This was a minus 7, now it's a minus 2. And keep tracking it until all the negatives are not negative anymore and the positives are all above plus 3 and then above plus uh, 7. Okay? Positive, then plus 3, then plus 7, and keep them there. And it's all about what you believe. Okay, so the first place I would start this week what do you believe about you as a person? Are you a good person, not a good person? Uh, list down the things that you've done wrong that you still feel bad about, still feel guilty about, still feel sinful about, uh, still feel um, treated unfairly about. Find the, uh, see where your uh, value and worth is on a minus 10 to plus 10. Where's that? That one thing. Your sense of value and worth as a human being. Okay? Is it in the minus numbers? Is it in in the plus numbers? Okay? Because I believe for everyone on the planet that should be plus 7 and above and if it's not you're believing an untruth or a lie. Fix that wrong belief and 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 the emotions, thoughts, and feelings that make up that belief, as well as the memories of all the related beliefs, fix that, and your thoughts, feelings, uh, emotions automatically change. Your um, your brain chemicals change. Your hormones change. Um, you experience less and less stress your immune system works better and better and better okay and all related to believing the truth and acting on it or believing a lie and acting on that okay all right okay so check that out where's where is that for you this week and i would recommend to start working on that belief with our mechanical tools, trilogy, healing codes, memory engineering, rapidized stress release, and by diagramming the belief, the overall in the middle, spokes like the spokes of a bicycle out, and then another issue in a circle at the end of the spoke that is all of the beliefs related to that, positive, negative, competing beliefs, And then you go on a search what is true, what is not, and you don't stop until you feel like you've found the whole truth and listed all of the possible beliefs about that issue. And then pray and meditate that they be transformed to the truth. The negative ones will become positive, the positive more positive, till everything is positive, plus three, plus seven. But start with where's the minus 10 to plus 10 on your value and worth as a human being person. The second one I would do is your value and worth about every other person in your life, minus 10 to plus 10. And, and my two cents is if you're really living your best life, you should be valuing everyone else you know. At a plus seven and above out of a minus ten to plus ten scale. Why? Because they're just as valuable human being as you are. Uh, I'm no better than you, but you're no better than me either. I believe we're both fantastic and can have a great life and can contribute to the world, etc. But. I'm no better than you, you're no better than me. What does that rule out? It rules out comparison and judgment, inferiority and superiority, and promotes equality, unity, togetherness. Let's work together to have the best life that we can have. All right? So um, think about that this week. Don't go another week without having a true value and worth belief about yourself, and then starting with the most important people in your life about every other person. Use the tools, pray and meditate, keep going through the chaos and pain until you get to love, joy, peace, a changed, truthful belief that you're now living and you're congruent with yourself. You're not feeling one thing internally, but trying to act another way externally. Okay? So, um, thank you so very much. Have a wonderful, blessed day. And if you change your value and worth internally, it'll change everything in your life. I want to add one more thing and then wrap this up. Um, So what we did last week with the uh, circle in the middle and the diagram, I would continue that um, starting this week with your own value and worth and then once that's plus seven and above with the other people in your life and maybe too the other situations in your life like money, uh, housing, cars, uh, I mean, we can have wrong beliefs about anything that uh, cause us to go bankrupt, cause us to spend our money unwisely, cause uh, conflict between me and another person over money or things like that. Alright? So, that's exactly what I would do and, and, and find those things. Once you're at a plus seven, uh, then go to the other people and those other circumstances. But, I wanted to uh, leave you with this. And, and to me, the question is here, what is the truth? We're not trying to make up an arbitrary value and worth. We're trying to believe the tr- find and believe the truth about value and worth. And here it is. John 15, 9, you are very loved. John 15, 15 and 16, you are accepted unconditionally. Romans 8, you are worthy. 2 Corinthians 2, 14, you are adequate for anything that you need to do. Romans 8, you are victorious when you do it God's way. Let him have control and do it through you instead of you trying to do it with your willpower. Psalm 4, verses 8, I am free from fear. Can you say that? That you're free from fear and anxiety? Well, God says He has made you so that you can be. All right? And I believe this is one of the steps to that. And the Bible is where this comes from. Okay? And everything I teach. Um, Psalm 4, verses 8 I'm content. Man, I've had so many people in my um, counseling office. that would say to me, I would just give anything to feel content. I mean, the place I am isn't that bad, but I'm just not at peace. I'm just, I'd give anything to be content. Well, God says you can be. Acts 1 verses 8, you are strong in Christ. John 15, 15 you have God's wisdom. Can you imagine God's wisdom? Well, that's the Holy Spirit, that's your conscience, that's the Word. You have God's wisdom about all of these beliefs in your life, all right? Um, John 8, 32, we've been saying over and over and over, you've got to get free from the law, okay? Because the law makes everything worse. It makes sin worse. It makes pain worse. It, um, It can make giving up worse. It can also make us get off our rear and go out and try to find some solutions. Okay? But, but, you've got to get free from the law or you can never live in love and joy and peace. Okay? And God knew that. That's why Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundations of the the world. Well, John 8, you are free from the law through Jesus. Free from the law. No condemnation. To those who are in Christ Jesus. You are saved. You were saved. You were loved. You were chosen before the foundations of the world. Uh, Romans 8, you've been adopted by God. You're a child of God. Um, John 15, you have the joy of the Lord. John 15 again, you've been chosen, set apart by God. Romans 8, you have hope. John 3, I love this one. You are blameless. You're not declared not declared not guilty and given mercy even though you're guilty. You're declared innocent, as if you never did a thing wrong in your entire life. That is how God sees you, according to Scripture, if you're right with Him and Jesus is your Lord and Savior. All right? Romans 8 You are never alone. That one's way more powerful than it first sounds. You are never alone. The greatest torture in the world is solitary confinement, where men and women literally go insane. You are never alone. And you can be alone in a crowded room easily. Ephesians 2, you have access to God Himself anytime. And Colossians 1, you have authority over evil and Satan. Okay? So, everything is about your beliefs. Let's start diagramming. Let's start working on those. Let's start not turning back when we hit the pain. Alright? And let's, let's overcome those odds that we've been talking about. The 99% failure rate in the ministry, psychology, self-help uh, field for 75 years. 99% failure rate I'm sorry, 99%, 97% failure rate, 99% relapse from habits and addictions. Everybody lies. Nobody changes, according to the FBI. But then the research from Harvard, Stanford, etc. says that you absolutely can change, that happiness equals love, and that um, if we try to do it Not through our willpower, but through God's power, then we can do it. All right? But, but, it's all about your beliefs. So find the ones that are causing you a problem, and that's easy. Whatever, if you're experiencing a problem, you've got a wrong belief. Almost, almost certain. Now, maybe you're going through a life-or-death situation, okay, and so your stress is on, your adrenaline and cortisol are up, you're trying to save your life over the next five minutes, okay, well that may absolutely be the case and no distortion, but that's only supposed to be once or twice a year for 15 minutes, okay. The rest of the time um, we're supposed to be in a basically an inward state of peace and balance. Okay, kind of like that, but not like this, which is where we are if we're living. Um, what's in it for me? Seek pleasure, avoid pain, etc. Okay, so go through the pain and experience those positives that the um, studies have shown us are possible. To live in love, and happiness, and health, and um, uh, love, joy, and peace, all right? It all comes down to beliefs, changing the ones that are wrong, reinforcing the ones that are right, and like Viktor Frankl, making an internal vow commitment, an internal vow commitment to God, I'm doing this your way. I'll never do it right, but I'm going to focus in the present in love, doing whatever I'm doing as best I can, as unto the Lord, giving up the end result I desire and and am working toward to God. And whether that's more painful or less pleasurable, that's not my job. My job is the present in love as best I can. Well, there's only one door that goes to that and it's the door of your beliefs. And maybe the number one belief in that regard is your internal value and worth as a human being. I would say if it is not plus four or five and above on a minus 10 to plus 10 scale you've got a significant problem. The good news, it can be healed. It can be fixed according to scripture, according to science, according to my experience over 30 years. So why in the world would you go another week without starting to fix it? Well, this is where you need to start. Your value and worth as a human being person, then others' value and worth, as a human being and then value and worth as far as things in the world like religion, like Black Lives Matter, like politics, like what you do for a career, etc. Me first, make sure I'm right with God then others, then individual circumstances, causes, etc. in my life I've got to get those beliefs right if I'm gonna take the high road and have my best life. And for most of us, we, are, we have gotten to some degree, like the Stanford prison experiment, brainwashed. It can happen in, remember, this one totally self destructed in about two days, this experiment. And that's with people knowing it. it was an experiment, okay? All of us have some degree of this. What are those? wrong beliefs. Okay? All right. Sorry I've rambled. This is just so critical. This is a foundational issue. Nothing else is going to work if you don't fix this. If you do fix this, um, a lot of things will, will will change automatically and a number of others will change rather easily compared to the past. Okay? But you got to be honest about what you believe, and many people are in denial of that. They're not willing to let go of their bias and prejudices, okay? So, um, take a look at those honestly this week, start working on them, and start seeing your life go up and up and up and up as those internal beliefs change. Thanks so much, and have a wonderful, blessed day.